Hi there. Welcome back to Courage Cast, the podcast that serves as salve for your heart and soul. My name is Lindsay Walls, your host and all-around Courage Catalyst. Today on episode two, we're taking on fear. Why fear? Because honestly, you can't have courage without it. One of my favorite quotes about courage is from Ambrose Redmond, who said, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is far more important than one's fear. And that is the epitome of everything that my life has meant up to this moment. For those of you who don't know much about me, I wanted to take a brief moment and tell you a little bit more about a part of my life story. On August 1st, 2007, I was driving southbound on Interstate 35W in Minneapolis, heading home from a long day of work when the bridge spanning the Mississippi River collapsed. I was in stop-and-go traffic and had reached the center of the bridge when it gave way and sent me plummeting. I ended up nosediving into the Mississippi and my car finally stopped falling when it slammed the river bottom. Just as quickly as it hit bottom, my car filled with water and I was drowning. I didn't expect to breathe again. I gave up my life in that moment and let go of what I thought would ever come next. But I'm talking to you today and so clearly the universe had other ideas in mind. So now I use my story to try to unpack trauma and stress and fear and all of the ways that bridges collapse in our lives on a regular basis. They're not made out of concrete and steel like mine are, but we still have the ground fall out from underneath us daily in different ways. On my journey through PTSD, the thing that I think I have learned more than anything else in the process is that it's really important to befriend your fear, not to make it your foe. I think that's a counter story to what we're often told in this world. Even when we're talking about courage, we're talking about battling our fears, getting rid of our fears, slaying our fear, conquering our fear. There's a thousand different places, books, podcasts, um, uh, infomercials, all kinds of different things in our world that are giving us the message that our fear is not okay, that our fear is something to be um, battled with. But everything that I've learned about my fear, everything that I've learned about the human body in relationship with fear is that fear is something that serves us if we understand it, if we pay attention to it. And so as I think about how you befriend fear, I think about how you befriend a person. When we decide we want to befriend someone, when we decide we want to have a connection with another person, we get close with them. We give them our time. We give them our attention. We ask them questions. We explore who they are, often in the context of who we are. That is um, juxtaposed to when we decide someone is our enemy, our foe. If that happens, how do we act? We decide that we don't want to know that person. We make judgments about who that person is. 
often at a very surface level. We see one kind of behavior or we hear them say one thing and suddenly they are someone to be battled with, someone who is not deserving of our time, someone who doesn't understand us or who is a threat to us sometimes. And I get that when it comes to fear, fear can feel extremely threatening because the reality is, is that fear is tied to our threat detection system. So our brain is this amazing tool. It's the, it's the hard drive for our body. When we're talking about computers and all of this technology that we live with today, our brains are the first computer system that we have ever had and our brains don't forget things. And so we have this threat detection system and it comes in multiple layers. We have an instinctual threat detection system. Often we hear about that in terms of fight, flight, or freeze when our bodies just instinctually go into one of those modes and fight to survive, flee to survive, freeze to survive. Those are actions that do not happen at a cognitive level. We do not think about those actions before we do them. They just happen. So when somebody grabs at someone and they respond by hitting back, or if someone um, faces a bear in the woods and they freeze up, that is our body doing its best to survive. Often I hear Brene Brown talk about how we are hardwired for connection. And I really think that we need to take that one step further. The truth of the matter is, is that we are hardwired for survival. And that connection is one of the key ways that we've learned how to survive. Over the course of human history, we have needed each other in really critical ways. We have needed the community of people that we're surrounded by for food, for warmth. When fire first came into being, when we first discovered fire, not everyone knew about fire, right? So you needed to be with the people who had the fire, who had the flame. We are hardwired for connection because we are hardwired for survival. It's in our DNA. And that is what I, when I talk about the threat detection system, that is our instinct. That is everything that we need to survive. Because if we don't survive individually, our species may not survive. So our threat detection system isn't the first place where fear shows up. Because if we're faced with a bear in the woods, yeah, we can feel fear, but fear isn't going to help us, right? Fear is going to, in that moment, fear is going to hurt us because it's going to paralyze us because it's going to stop us from making any action. It's going to get in the way of that instinctual need to survive. Where fear comes in is after the fact. Fear comes in as we're recovering from that moment and we have, then we have time to process what happened and then we become afraid of a lot of different things. We become afraid of 
the whole scenario, right? It's no longer just, well, if I'm going to be faced with a bear again, I'm going to be afraid of that bear. It's not just that because fear steps in to help prevent us from being in that situation again. Because we're, we're elevated from, you know, maybe just the, the reptile, <laughs> the reptile who's instinctual and will end up in the same circumstance time and time again. And hopefully their instincts will protect them from being killed. But they don't have this next layer, this next elevation of brain um, chemistry and, and, and everything that goes along with that to be afraid of that situation in the future but we do. So fear comes in to take in our surroundings, to make it so that we are considering a lot of different factors. If we're talking about this threat of a bear, we are not just paying attention to the bear. We're paying attention to what were the sounds in the moments before the bear arrived? What was the weather like? Where was the sun in the sky? What was I doing in that moment? So I don't want to do that again. How can I be better prepared in the future? So fear is about preparing us for a future threat and preventing us from being put into that situation again. In my circumstance, as an example of how fear showed up, I obviously had a, a bridge fall down. And a lot of people actually have fears of bridges. I didn't necessarily have a fear of a bridge falling down prior to it happening. And after it happening, I wasn't exclusively afraid of a bridge falling down. My fear showed up in a thousand different ways. So no longer was it just that bridges weren't safe. It was that any kind of man-made structure wasn't safe. So I would stand in an elevator and I would grip the, the railing, hopefully that there was a railing to grip in the first place, because I, you know, even though I didn't take physics in high school, <laughs> I kind of understood that if the cables broke on the elevator and the elevator started to plummet, I needed to hold on to the bottom of the railing so that I wouldn't fly up and hit my head in the ceiling of the elevator. Very specific details very specific things that I, in moments of walking into any space, would calculate to understand my threat so that I could survive. And so that's a way that I befriended my fear. I understood that it was really natural and normal for me to question the safety of infrastructure, to question the safety of any kind of structure where a, a person who is fallible and who could have made the wrong calculation or not seen something that needed to be seen um, could cause an impact like what I experienced. And then the truth of it is that it goes down to the tiniest little detail. So I have two stories of very real experiences in my life that have happened just in the last few weeks, actually, eight years after the collapse, and I'm still faced with these different fears. But now, because I've befriended my fear and because I've understood why it's there and because I've given it the time and attention and the care that it needs, I don't get like thrown off course. I don't get like rattled so that I can't function. I 
get rattled and I figure out how to function again, right? So it's not that we're trying to avoid our fear because if we avoid our fear, it's still going to show up and it's going to show up whether we like it or not. We're going to end up having a panic attack or we're going to end up having some kind of maladaptive behavior. It's going to show up in our lives and then we're going to respond to it in a way that we're going to try to control it or we're going to just avoid things altogether. And the truth of the matter for me is that I cannot avoid bridges. I cannot, and it wouldn't even help because like I said, it's not just bridges that I'm afraid of. It's all kinds of different things. So here are the stories. I would consider these two stories on the spectrum of perceived versus real threat. So the first is the perceived threat. A couple weeks ago, I was at a coffee shop that has a small stage over onto one side. And during the day when they're not having a concert, they have tables sitting on the stage. It's about a foot off the ground. And I was sitting there and had just gotten settled in and all of a sudden, without any warning, my body started to notice motion and my body is hyper attuned to any kind of movement or instability. So I started to notice some swaying motion and because I had just sat down, I was like, oh, maybe it's just, just like some settling of my body. Right. But I, I froze and paid attention very closely and it happened again. And I was like, oh, oh, what's going on? And I was like, okay, I am a foot off the ground. There's, you know, I wasn't even sure, like, is it the stage that's moving? Is it the ground that's moving? Is this some kind of like baby earthquake, even though we're in Minnesota and we don't get those? Um, what's going on? All of that happening within seconds, not even seconds, milliseconds probably, of me feeling this motion. So I started to look around for the threat. I started to pay attention, hyper attuned to my surroundings and noticed out of the corner of my eye at the table next to me that there was a woman having coffee with someone else who was nodding her head. And because of my hypersensitivity to the movement, I was able to glean that her movement, her nodding of the head was very much in parallel with this movement that I was feeling on the stage. So just think about that for a moment. Someone nodding their head on a stage, her nod of the head, it triggered me into my threat detection system. It made me afraid. It made my heart race. It made my breath quicken. It made my skin tingle. And in that moment, because I was in a place where I had taken the time to understand my fear because I understood what happens in my brain and I understood that it was super normal for my brain to pick up on something like that and for it to be scared and for it to be feel threat even in the midst of there not being a threat. Because I had done all of that work over eight years on a journey through PTSD, I was able to tell myself it was safe, to remind myself of all of the reasons that it was safe, not only because it's just the natural ebb and flow and sway of a, a structure, um, but also that that structure is less than a foot off the ground. So even if it fell down, I would be okay because dang it, I've fallen 120 feet and I've figured out how to survive. So even in the midst of all of that safety, my body 
was thrown into a tizzy for a period of about an hour. Because I understood where it was coming from, I was able to care for that. I was able to attend to it. I didn't judge myself for having this fear. I felt sad that it was still so sensitive, that I was still in this place of recognizing that I can do all of the work in the world and it's still going to be there. Like there's just, it's just there. And that I have to accept that there's this reality to my life. That story is a perceived fear. And the next story is what I would consider a time when my fear, because I understand it, because I understand why it exists, and because I understand how it's trying to protect me, is in the you know realm of real. Like when I have a right to that fear, when I don't have to just calm my nerves and and say everything's going to be okay, but I have a right to just say, you know what, I'm not going there. (laughs) Over the last month or so, I have had a meeting on the other side of the river, and the closest bridge is a bridge that I've driven over before, but not one that I take on a regular basis. And recently, I took that route, just thinking, not thinking much of it, thinking it was the shortest distance between me and them. And when I got close to the bridge, I started noticing all this construction equipment. And, and actually, like, I'm getting kind of emotional just talking about it right now. Um, and then I got closer and I noticed there was a crane off to the side of the bridge. And then I noticed there were barriers, concrete barriers, all the way along the span of the bridge. And if you know anything about the bridge collapse, there was construction happening. There was a significant amount of weight that were put onto the bridge that particular day that was part of the cause. And so here I am faced with another bridge with a significant amount of extra added weight with construction people on either side of me all across the whole span of it. And so that time I couldn't turn around. I couldn't, there wasn't a way, you know, like it's, it's, you come up around a bend and then it's just there and there's no place to turn off, um, to make a different choice. So I had to go across it. I made it across and I got through it and I, I moved on with my day. I shook it off a little bit, but that was a perceived threat that was no longer just in the perceived realm, right? That became a real threat to me. That became a moment where I had to face what had happened to me before. And I won't go on that bridge now until I know that it's safe again. And for me, knowing that it's safe means that, you know, they're hopefully they're trying to make it safe, right? (laughs) Like all of the construction that's happening right now is probably to reinforce the bridge to make it safe and there's all these reasons why I can say yeah it's Minnesota we know better we know what happened we wouldn't do that again right like there's all these ways that I have to rationalize and say like we figured it out we won't put the you know there have to be precautions there have to be ways that that they've made this situation safe that they they wouldn't let people drive across this bridge there was a reason to think that it wouldn't be safe. And 
So the rational part of my mind knows that that's all true. But that fear, that fear is real and it's not, and it's valid, you know, like the fear of the stage is real, but it's not as valid, right? The fear of that bridge was real and is directly connected to a very real threat in my life. And so when we talk about courage, when we talk about understanding how to move through fear and understanding how to befriend fear. So when we talk about courage in this podcast, we're talking about not only deciding that there's something more important on the other side of our fear, but we're also allowing it to be okay for our fear to guide us, right? Because at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world if I don't go across that bridge for the rest of the summer or the rest of the time that that construction is underway. There are alternative routes that I can take. What wouldn't be okay is if I had decided that I would never cross the bridge again. Because if I never crossed a bridge again, my life would have gotten incredibly small. And what I knew about my life, what I knew about my second chance, is that I had to make every second of it worth it. That I had to allow my life to expand in ways that I had never thought possible before the bridge fell down. There's another quote that life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. And that's really what this podcast is all about, is exploring our fear and exploring how to surrender to it or move through it in a way that allows our life to expand. And that's what it's about, right? Is figuring out for yourself. Now, these examples in my life are concrete and steel, but when we talk about how fear shows up in our lives, oftentimes it's in the context of people and relationships and interactions. It's just as important to be paying attention to when is it a perceived threat and when is it a real threat and differentiating and discerning those things. That's so much a part of what our work is and so much a part of what courage is. Because courage is discerning those differences and deciding if it's a perceived threat that I'm going to go for it anyway, right? It's, gonna, it's me saying when I was sitting on that stage, it was a perceived threat. And that I'm not going to just like get up and move my stuff and go and sit on solid ground. It's a perceived threat. I can stay on the stage and be okay. And that is a form of courage. And at the same time, it's a form of courage to have a, a real, I mean, maybe a perceived threat, but a real threat where you say, I'm not going there. So I'm sorry that I got, um, I'm not going to apologize. Why would I apologize for being emotional? It's an emotional experience. Um, so that's another part of courage, right? 
another part of courage for me is to leave the emotion in this podcast and to allow myself to be vulnerable in that way to this audience and to whoever might hear it, which could be complete strangers. And I have no idea who's going to listen to this. What I would really love for you to explore within your own life is the ways that fear shows up. What is it that triggers for you? And honestly, when we fear fear, we're doubling up and not in a good way. So what I hope what I hope, I hope, I hope you can gain from this podcast over time as we continue to explore courage and fear and how it all matters and makes us whole. I hope that you can embrace your fear, how you can like just love it up, like really give it that, that love, that care, because at the end of the day, it's a part of you. It's a part of who you are in this world and why you matter to this world because when we can own our fear and explore it and love it up and not be afraid of it, then we give someone else this permission and this hope that their fear isn't so scary either, that they can survive their fear too. So that's what I've got for you today. I would love for you to join my private Facebook group, The Resilient Soul Sanctuary. I would love to meet with you over there and talk about any insights you have following this podcast. All right, I'll talk to you again soon.